and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wife, Janet, and we are live at AM 1470 KBSN in Moses Lake in the studio, and we are also streaming live on my personal Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacies YouTube site. So go there and um, check them out, like them, subscribe to them, and share them. You'll see we've been doing this show since October, and we have, I think, 44 episodes because we do a podcast. We started a podcast, a second podcast a week um, on Thursdays. Um, stay tuned for that this Thursday. And today... On our radio show, we have Michelle Murphy, and she is an ARMP, and we're going to be talking about obesity and mostly cardiovascular disease, um, but to be specific, which is the number one killer of Americans, and much of it is preventable. So you do not want to miss this episode. Um, Michelle is super, super smart when it comes to these things, and did I mention that she um, got third in Ironman Florida? Hee <laughs> hee. And let's go ahead and introduce Michelle. Um, she is um, on the line, on the phone. Michelle, how are you? Hi, you guys. I'm good. Thanks for the introduction and the invitation. Yes, thank you for being on. We, re we really appreciate it. So why don't you, Michelle, tell us a little bit about your history of what got you into medicine? Uh, well... I was originally going to be a field biologist and got my my undergraduate degree in environmental biology. And during my, I did a stint in the Peace Corps in West Africa and during that time discovered that that field biology was not <laughs> for me, that I would actually be better with people. Uh, and so when I came back, I studied family medicine. And um, I practiced in conventional medicine for five years before I discovered that there was anything uh, in the world that existed like functional medicine. And I discovered functional medicine actually through the cardiovascular labs, um, which I think we're going to talk about a, a bit today. Um, and from cardiovascular labs, I did the development into um, metabolic health and then hormone replacement therapy, autoimmune disease, and environmental toxicity. Um, and about three years ago, after talking to a pharmacist at a convention, <laughs> um, I was convinced that uh, opening a direct patient care practice was probably going to be a more successful approach uh, due to the amount of time that I like to spend with my patients. So uh, in 2017, I opened the practice that I have today in Puyallup. What a great story, Michelle. And tell us a little bit. We've talked about it on this show a few times. Tell us a little bit about what functional medicine is for, for viewers and listeners that might not be familiar with that term. Uh, so functional medicine, most simply described as root cause medicine. I think uh, in school we have a lot of emphasis on physiology and chemistry, and we study a lot of science, and then the focus goes from those foundations to um, how to manage disease versus how to identify the source of disease and, their, and, and reverse it. Um, so functional medicine takes your attention away from how to put a Band-Aid on a disease process like heart disease or diabetes, um, and 
hold on one second. I've got an alarm going off on my phone. Um, and go to the root cause, which is usually lifestyle modifications with some possible support of pharmaceutical medications in the event that that's necessary. So, so, Michelle, I'm super excited to have you on the program, partly because um, as a healthcare provider, you've made the journey over to the side of prevention. And tell me how you made that decision going from a traditional healthcare uh, situation to actually preventing and the functional side. I mean, what, what triggered you to say, okay, I'm, I'm not over here. I have to move over to this side. Um, integrity, I think, oh, and um, just there uh, at the end of the day in conventional medicine, in order to make a living, you have to see on average 25 to 30 patients. And um, no, there's no way to provide good care in that environment. And there's an enormous amount of prescription writing. And... Um, in order to help people reverse heart disease or obesity or um, diabetes, it requires time. And knowing that 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 amount of time is not is not reimbursed by insurance, it forced um, me to make a decision to um, jump ship from conventional medicine, which is. Uh, basically disease management and jump onto a direct patient care model, which is essentially um, people pay a membership fee in exchange for having a much uh, more supportive and time-invested environment with their clinicians. So today when I was doing my little research on our guest, I came across one of Michelle's posts, and this is something that I think really is a statement to her integrity. It says, in a society that profits, profits from disease, health is a rebellion. Never settle. Be fierce. And I think that is something that we have to all kind of embrace from the standpoint of since we started our business and even before that when I was in school, cardiovascular disease has been the number one killer of Americans for decades. We're not even putting a dent in it. And it's frightening to me. Because according to the CDC, 30, every, every 37 seconds, an American is affected by heart disease. And to me, that is, that's unacceptable. I mean, it's a silent disease per se, perhaps, but it's our number one killer. And I feel like we do have to take some acknowledgement as healthcare providers that we need to address this problem because it's a train wreck for our society. So... Um, how are you approaching health disease or, or, excuse me, cardiovascular disease in your practice, Michelle? Uh, well, we have a statement at uh, Peak Performance and Prevention, which is the name of my practice, that no one's allowed to have a heart attack or stroke on my watch because it's totally preventable. Um, and the, I, the fact that people die in this country from heart disease or any in any country on and, and, and on this planet is unacceptable. I mean, the, the literature and research on this is so grounded and it has been for at least three decades that it's just a failure um, on, on so many different levels. But uh, it is a rebellion because it requires people to make 
intentional choices to choose health over disease. And in order to make choices, they have to be informed. And that is the mission is to help people be um, directors of their own biology to empower them to um, direct their own health. So, you know, in our practice, um, every new patient has a... uh, advanced laboratory panel that includes what I identify simply as an old-school 1970s cholesterol panel, which everyone should be fairly familiar with, hopefully, which is like good cholesterol and bad cholesterol and triglycerides, and we should just throw the whole total cholesterol number right out the window. Um, And then in addition to that old-school panel, we do what is identified kind of in conversation or in the literature as an advanced lipid panel, but it shouldn't be called advanced anymore because it's been around forever. And that's um, identifying more um, depth about what is the quality of of your cholesterol and is your cholesterol... um, Is it pathological or can it be improved? Uh, but cholesterol all on its own is not the independent um, defining indicator of uh, disease risk. If you don't look at inflammation at the same time as you're looking at cholesterol, then you're completely missing the boat. So our, our first uh, panel on our patients is approximately eight pages long, and um, our first visit with our, with our patients is between 90 minutes to to two hours where we go over that data together in, in detail and come up with a strategic plan um, that sometimes does include pharmaceuticals, but the goal is ultimately to, to not need pharmaceuticals in order to have uh, not just no heart disease, but optimal biology. That's an interesting point because that kind of goes against the grain right now. Um, when we have patients that are being told they have high cholesterol, the first thing I see them being thrown on is is a statin. And, um, you know, most Americans believe that high cholesterol is a problem. Um but you're breaking it down into where those problems might lie. Like if you have inflammation that is being caused for other reasons, um, and you're showing that patient how that ties together, correct? Correct. So the goal, there's lots of different ways that you can have inflammation, and the goal is to identify where the source of inflammation is coming from. Um, I would say 80% of the time it's food-related, um, and then there, there's 20% of the time where it could be um, periodontal disease or um, environmental toxins or maybe an underlying autoimmune disease that is causing an, um, I'm going to say, endothelial dysfunction or uh, inflammation on the lining of the blood vessel wall. So, but most of the time it's pretty straight, straightforward. But if you do not remove inflammation, you will always have some type of disease, whether it's heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, autoimmune disease. Until you address uh, inflammation, you're not playing the game um, well. So that is our, you know, if, I, if all my tools got taken away, and because I'm very, because in functional medicine, we are incredibly dependent on data. If all my um, data tools got taken away, that would be the one marker that I would cling on to as my HSCRP as a tool to support my people. 
so for most patients or most Americans or most people in this world, one of the biggest things that they could uh, change in their life is the food that is causing inflammation in their body. Is that what you're saying? I think that that is true for the most part. We teach that there are five pillars of health, um, and nutrition is one of them, but you can't be just the boss of nutrition and think that all things are going to fall into place. And behind nutrition is also sleep, stress, detoxification, and movement. Um, and all, all, all of those things have to be addressed in order to get optimal health. So, Michelle, tell us a little bit about um, the the inflammation marker you're talking about, CRP, and um, how you would go about lowering that in a patient. Uh, well, we, in, in, in addition to that sit-down conversation uh, where we review labs, there's also an intake with a health coach um, that's about an hour long where we get a, a lot of information about that those pillars basically like what what are they eating now how much are they sleeping how much do they exercise what is their motivation level what's the trauma history what's their stress level um so we pair that information the stories which is important of the data we sync the data and the story together um when we sit down with the patient and um by that point, we have a pretty good sense of where that source of inflammation is coming from and strategically lock into that. Once we identify what those sources are, it could be something as simple or as obvious as you're going to McDonald's three times a week and, you know, supersizing it. Let's stop doing that. Or it could be, you know, having two glasses of wine every night. Um, and then... We do that intervention and then follow up within 90 days to make sure that those modifications have moved the needle on the on the um, diagnostic markers specifically, um, the particle size and HSCRP. But we also look at other inflammation markers as well. Awesome. Well, that takes us about time for our first break. So I am going to go ahead and cut into our first first break, and we will talk to you in a few minutes. Hello and welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. On our first segment, we had, if you missed it, we had Michelle Murphy from Peak Performance and Prevention. And um, incredible, incredible story. She takes, it's really cool to hear how thorough she is with her patients. I love, I love taking care of her patients um, because they are so well educated. Um, Michelle definitely walks the walk and talks the talk. She is an incredibly healthy person herself and eats and eats well, exercises. And I really like seeing that because a lot of times in medicine, um, unfortunately, a lot of healthcare providers are not good models for their patients. So um, I appreciate you for doing that, Michelle, and welcome back to our show. Let's see. Uh, so where were we? We were with inflammation, and you were talking about small particles and CRP. Um, uh, where do you want to go with that, Michelle? Well, we were talking, I mean, one of the things I think that's an interesting note that Janet brought up was how when people have what is identified traditionally as elevated cholesterol, the first reaction is to put them on statins. Um, and statins 
do and, and a lot of times have a great space and role and they are they can be incredibly protective um, but 50% of people who die from a cardiovascular event secondary to heart disease um, are dying with a normal LDL so if the target is intentionally to focus on just your an LDL and um, if that is not clear for people is considered your quote-unquote bad cholesterol, and that's the target that people are generally looking at when they're putting people on a statin, or clinicians are looking at when they're putting people on a statin. If you're just looking at that number, and half of the folks are still dying with with a normal or uh, optimal LDL, then we're missing the target. And so, um, again, the importance of focusing on inflammation and how it contributes to disease, um, but also understanding that Statins aren't benign. They do. They can. They are, they can be incredibly protective, but they also also can suppress LDL to the point where um, it's uh, unhealthy for brain um, health and cellular turnover. And we we need cholesterol to make hormones, and we need cholesterol to protect our brains um, as we age, especially. And so, um, cardi- cardiologists love statins because they do keep people from having uh, cardiovascular events in many cases, um, but neurologists don't seem to like them as much because they're having to deal with the dementia and Alzheimer's on the secondary end of a prolonged use of uh, statin. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say that, that we're totally anti-statin because I've seen amazing things happen with low-dose statins. Um, but usually, most of the time, there's an alternative option that is... Uh, globally better for your health versus band-aiding one aspect of the um, lipid regulation, the statin medication. So So speaking of statins, I always find it interesting that statins have been out about 30 years now, um, yet cardiovascular disease is at an all-time high for Americans. So um, kind of basically what you're saying is there's more to it than just statins, correct? You're addressing all-cause mortality, not just heart disease, but also um, most other disease processes. Uh, so there's more bang for your buck when you address inflammation than if you're just addressing cholesterol. Okay, so that kind of brings us into um, maybe prevention because, you know, most people want to hear what, what can I do and... You know, besides taking medication, there are other things that um, you've been very successful in implementing with your your clients. So, um, in prevention, those are things that the individual has control over. Correct. So, what what are things that you view that you are uh, implementing in your practice to help with that side of of um, treatment? Uh, so, right out of the gate, if there was a number one thing that I would encourage anyone to do, it would be to remove uh, fast carbs or easily absorbed carbs, um, whether that's in the form of sugar, simple sugar, or um, in the form of bread. Um, bread causes your blood sugar to spike this disease where you have the Snickers bar. Um, so, sugar here is the culprit um, for most. Um, metabolic issues, and so if you were going to do one thing, it would be eliminating uh, simple carbohydrates. 
Um, and that usually a cheater way to think about that is most food that's white, rice, potatoes, bread, pasta, and then don't drink your calories, don't drink sugar. I mean, that's usually via the form of soda, juice, and alcohol. And, and starting from there is pretty basic. The next goal would be only eat real food. I say something that I always kind of cringe before I say it because it sounds so crunchy is eat as close to the earth as you can. Eat as many colors and as much diversity um, in the colors as you can and try to get your food clean sourced. Um, so, uh, and one of the things I, the, one of the things that I, my quote, I think I say this every single day is before anything goes into your mouth, being mindful of it, if it's worthy. Is it worthy of you? Is it worthy of the goal of whatever your goal is, whether it's weight as a motivator, whether it's powering out a 100-mile bike ride, if it's um, fitting into, you know, the bikini for the summer, whatever the motivator is, or just being healthier. If, if that thing that you're putting in your mouth is not worthy of the goal, then put it down. But that's, it's, it's, that's an expectation of mindfulness. So that's something that we teach a lot here. So when you speak of eating, you know, I, I think sometimes we we take it for granted sometimes when we talk about eating whole foods. And I really like your analogies of, what would you say that one more time, Michelle, eating close to the earth? Is that what it was? Eating close to the earth or... Um, you know, like I'll, my kids will ask me if they can have something and I'll say, can you see what it is? Like, I don't know, what is a hot dog? I can't even tell what a hot dog is, but you can tell what a piece of salmon is. <laughs> you can see the striation of the muscle. Um, what is a, I don't have any idea what a Cheeto is. I can't tell what that is just by looking at it, but I know what an apple is. You know, it's just that simply, I mean, it's just super simple. You don't have to look at an ingredient, but, um, when you look at it that way. That's and a good way. Simple. You, don't, you know, it's confusing. Everybody that walks through my door has massive student anxiety because they're not sure if they should be doing keto or paleo or gluten-free or dairy-free. And it's overwhelming. But if you simply just eat real food that is not high in sugar and it's clean source, you're pretty much going to be on point. Yeah, one of the things I like to tell people and, and, and my patients is if it, you know, real food is basically if it doesn't rot, don't eat it. And, you know, and... If bugs don't like it. Right. Yeah, right. If if bacteria and algae and bacteria and fungus won't grow on it, um, it what's it going to do in our bodies? Can we our bodies even assimilate it? So if it doesn't rot, don't eat it is a, is a good one that I, that I, and I actually stole that from a functional medicine doctor, actually. We should be stealing these things from each other all the time. <laughs> yes, we need we more should. of us. We're yeah. trying to build an army. Right? Well, speaking of that, I mean, it, what do you think about the future is of functional medicine? Don't you see that it is growing and that there is kind of a revolution in this area? I do. I, it's, um, I think the challenge is getting people educated timely because we're not trained and, you know, I wasn't trained to understand how to do this. I had to learn it and pay for this education um, after I left school. 
um, which is one of the reasons why I'm passionate about I always have a student um, in practice with me. And still, to this day, they are not teaching them normal lipid science. They are not leaving school understanding different the difference between particle sizes, which is incredibly basic. That that, that literature has been out for so long. It, it's, it's frustrating on on my end when you see that that is the like people in our world around us are dying. Number one from heart disease, and the science is this old, and we are still not teaching it. It's frustrating. So. Um, part of my commitment is always trying to have a student in rotation with me so that they can see that there's a different option. But when you go and work for a hospital system, you're pretty um, reined in as far as like which labs you can order, which company you can use for the labs that you order. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you order the labs, if your patients don't understand the information, you have to have the time to sit with them and teach them. So I think that the, the, the demand is out there and people are looking and looking and looking. There's not enough of us that speak this language and have the amount of time to sit down and do it. And as you guys know, because you've done your own rebellion and, and left um, commercial structured um, health care where you're getting reimbursed by insurance companies, it's scary at that place where you're making the decision to jump. And, and not everybody's an entrepreneur and not everybody has that um, foundational drive to make take that risk um, and, it, and it requires you to take a risk right now in order to practice functional medicine in the way that it needs to be practiced which takes time to develop relationships and to educate your patients it doesn't matter if I know it I have to be able to teach it well, for sure. And I think one of the things, you know, we, we at our pharmacy, we haven't been billing insurance since 2002. And so we definitely rebelled a long time ago. But we saw just what you did is that, you know, our hands were being tied about how we could take care of patients. And we had a third party involved in um, in the middle of, of the patient. It just really increased costs and decreased our service with them. So that's why we decided to go against the grain. And I will tell you, and, and you would probably, you know, reiterate this statement, but it is so liberating to be able to take care of patients without an insurance company involved. Um, I, I think you would probably agree. You have any comments on that? I totally, no, I, I would never, I mean, I tried because it was scary at the beginning of this journey to do insurance-based model where I would bill insurance for my patient visits and I almost went bankrupt because insurance doesn't pay for preventative services and um, it doesn't pay to reverse disease. It pays you to manage disease to write prescriptions quickly. Um, and so in order to live with integrity with myself and you, I mean, I had talked to you about this because you had already been, been brave and jumped. Um, so I leaned on you, on you guys when I was making this decision. Um, but I would never go back. I mean, I made more money the first month <laughs> after I jumped shit than I ever had in conventional insurance-based practice at the, 40, 30 to 40 percent of my revenue in an insurance-based practice was billing, just trying to get the insurance companies to pay me for the work I'd already done. So, 
but you know you won't, you know that now because you're standing on the other side, so it doesn't seem so scary. But you know, I, you know, there's so many people I see at conferences over and over again that are still practicing, kind of trying to practice under the radar of these hospital-based systems where they are, you know, handcuffed by time and handcuffed by productivity models. Um, but you can tell if they really want to do something different. It's just a scary thing to do to jump. Well, I think, can do it. Everybody can do it. I think, Michelle, too, that um, what I'm hearing in your story is something similar to Sean and I, that, you know, there comes a point where, you know, I felt very accountable to my patients because I felt like I was participating in something where they weren't getting the results that I would desire for them to have for their livelihood and their life and, and their well-being. And so helping someone take, you know, a ton of, of medications every day just didn't sit well in, in my heart. I, I struggled with it because I felt like I was part of that problem rather than setting them aside and saying, okay, if we implement this, maybe we don't have to give you the side effects of this drug because, your body is healing. You're healing yourself with the decisions you're making. And I feel like more people in our country would choose to do something um, that wouldn't have side effects if they were taught that and given that opportunity. But I don't think in our current model, patients are even offered that. They're just like, here, we need to lower your blood pressure. We need to lower your cholesterol. Here's the script. Go home, take it. I just absolutely, and there's, and it all goes back to, I think there's even a foundational diversion um, of what you just described is that we are inherently built to heal. I mean, our bodies, if you give your, if you feed your body what it needs in order to thrive and you remove the obstacles to health, whatever those are. Um, your body will heal. It's not really complicated. It just and, and when I deal with a really complicated case and I start feeling like and I've got all these different data points and not sure which direction I'm going, I always go back to that just super clean truth that this body will heal if I just have to, have to figure out what are the things that are getting in the way of the healing process. Um, and it's usually taking things out of the system that are causing a problem. There's also that... Um, the medical system that we live in today also disempowers patients from taking taking their confidence, giving them a position of putting them in a position of fear, and when they walk into a clinical space, that they are supposed to march to the orders of the clinician. Partly because that clinician doesn't have time to listen to them, and so that that person is just trying to survive and get through their day, um, and. It is critically important to me in my practice that in our in our office that when that patient walks in, they feel celebrated and they are known and we know their names and we have time for them, um, and that we instill the confidence in, in their own biology that they're not at the mercy of this unknown thing that's going to happen to them. You know, my dad had a heart attack, so I'm going to too. That doesn't have to be your story. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I think what it's all about, and this is what, you know, this is one of the reasons we, we have people like you on our radio show, because this radio show is all about educating and empowering individuals that they control their own health. 
you know, they don't see the pharmacist or they don't see, you know, the clinician that often, but they're with themselves 24 hours a day. And it's them that is in, tr- in charge of their health. It's not some magic medication that we can give them or that you can prescribe that's really going to make the big difference. It's, it's really they have to control their health. So, and that is going to take us to the, the next commercial break. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Hello and welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We are streaming live at AM 1470 KBSN in Moses Lake Studio. And on our first two segments, you if you weren't listening, we have Michelle Murphy from Peak Performance and Prevention. Um, I do want to tell you a little story about her. Um, she is in, I wrote a book called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And she was instrumental in many parts of that book. She helped edit it, and she even was very worthy of having um, a quote on the front cover. And I am so proud to have her on on my book. And um, you can see my you can get my book at Amazon. It's on Kindle version. Um, so go to Amazon, download the book "Sickened: How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It." I am also working on an audio version. Just uh, recorded the last part of the audio version. I'm actually doing it with my voice, so it's super cool. And my son is kind of putting it together, and hopefully we'll have an audio version done by the end of the year. And working on a paperback edition, too, so it's more than just the the digital version. So, um, Michelle, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Let me know when you get the paper version. I want to put it in office. I definitely will. I definitely will. I'll, I'll definitely give you a copy. So, um, so Michelle, we were talking during the break, and you mentioned about the five pillars of health. Can you go into that a little bit? So um, one of the things we want to be known for is being the fundamental boss. So uh, our goal is to educate on the five pillars of health as we identify them. And they, these, I'm just going to list them, but they're not in any particular order. Um, we put them in the order per the vulnerability after we listen to what our patients are need more focus on. More focus on, but it's uh, nutrition, uh, sleep, movement, detoxification, which is kind of an odd, obscure one, and um, stress. Uh, odd and obscure, I think, when you first hear about it, but it's actually critically important. Um, and sleep, you know, nutrition is something that we've kind of touched on. You know, the sleep piece is foundationally critical. If you're not getting good sleep, then you're not going to do well in any part of your life. Um, and you need at least seven to eight hours of the goal of 1.5 hours of deep sleep. So we encourage our people to use a tracking device, usually Garmin or an Aura Ring Fitbit. Um, one of those three are the ones that we encourage our folks to use. Um, and our EMR, our electronic medical record, actually does, if they give us permission to track, it lets us see their data that they've collected using those devices. Um, and then movement is really personal to each person, depending on if whatever their goal is. Your goal, you know, your movement can be very different than mine or Janet's or, you know, my 85-year-old patient whose goal is to walk three miles a day, right? We're all different there. Um, and over-exercising is just as bad as under-exercising. Some of my worst cardiovascular patients are over-exercisers. Some Ironman triathletes that I have are extreme. Um, that causes inflammation. And um, going 
on for years and years and years, which can, can cause really significant cardiovascular damage. Um, and then stress, which everybody has right now, way too much stress, especially with COVID. Um, it's crazy. Uh, so, and I think oh, go ahead. And then detox, that's a whole can of worms. Maybe we'll have you on. A, uh, you could talk about that for a whole hour. Maybe we'll have you on another radio show yeah, to talk we'll about talk detox. About, bring, invite me for another time. <laughs> right. So I do, if you don't mind, Michelle. I would love to hear. Being an athlete myself and worried about overtraining, I would love to hear um, what you do with Ironman athletes that are overtrained or any athlete that's overtraining. How do you monitor that, and what do you do with them? Uh, it depends on the age of the athlete. Um, one of the tools I use diagnostically. It's, uh, is something called a cardiac calcium score. So the way I, it's basically a CT scan. It's about a hundred bucks to get this done, and it tells you your calcium load and the, the vessels that surround your heart. And there should not be any calcium in the vessels around your heart. Um, and and most most of the time, that calcium is deposited because of cardiovascular disease. But that is not always the case, especially with endurance athletes. And endurance athletes, they will have vascular damage from just years and years and years and years of heavy vascular load. So the example I always give, give is like if you were sitting next to me and I could, if I punched you really hard in your shoulder and you got a big bruise in that shoulder and then you healed, next year if I x-rayed that same space, you may be able to see um, calcium deposits where that injury was the same. The same is true in your smooth muscle of your cardiovascular system. Uh, and over time, when you stretch that into that lining of the blood vessel and it gets damaged through extensive high-volume uh, exercise, you'll have calcium deposits, especially in... There was a period of time, it's really interesting, back in the day where they were telling even male uh, athletes to take um, calcium, pretty high-dose calcium. And so they had, a, you know, this high serum level of calcium that was bioavailable and then easily deposited in those little tiny areas of injury. Over time, it makes your blood vessels stenotic and narrow, rigid and narrow, um, and that does not serve anyone well. So if we detect that, we start focusing on how do we reverse that problem. And that's a whole treatment protocol that takes usually a couple of years in order to decrease calcium load in the vessels like that. For sure, for sure. That 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 that's always interesting. And being an endurance athlete myself, I'm I'm always worried about that. And I think there is like with anything, um, and Janet is big on this, everything she talks about, it's all about moderation and 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 yes, you can exercise too much. So that's what I like too about what you talked about about personal you know, that every movement program is personal or every program that you you see your patient, it has to be personal. And that's why traditional conventional medicine did not work with you because you couldn't get personal with the patients because one size doesn't fit all, correct? Correct. It's way more fun. <laughs> it's way more fun to practice this way. You get to know your people and there's so much more joy in it. You get to be part of the journey. I mean, what isn't there? That's the greatest honor in life is to be invited to be a part of someone's journey to help, you know, and to be asked to help make it better. So, Michelle, what what kind of questions, um, in a perfect world, 
or patients had time with their doctors, um, what kind of questions should they be asking, um, asking them when they go in for visits? I think I would ask for the power of data because they have a lot, you know, you need their order in order to get the information that you need. Um, and if you're really concerned about your vascular health, they're, you know, maybe get a pen out and write this down. But I would ask for just a standard lipid panel, which is cheap. I would ask for an HSCRP to identify what your level of inflammation is. I would ask for... Um, an LDLP, which gives you information about what that bad, quote-unquote bad, it's not bad, but that's how people identify it, cholesterol particle looks under a microscope, um, and you want that particle to be big, round, heavy, and smooth. Um, and they should ha be able to happily give that information to you, and you'd want to have somebody that can interpret it. And if that person cannot interpret that information, that is very foundational 101 science, you need to find a new clinician. That's a pretty powerful statement, and I agree with you, Michelle. Um, and I don't think a lot of traditional medical practitioners know that. Um, I would even, I'm not sure if a cardiologist would know that about the inflammation. I mean, they know about lowering cholesterol and the risk that it has with cardiovascular disease, but the inflammation part, I've never heard a traditional cardiologist talk about that. Have you? We do. They're coming around. I, I feel we're getting. Uh, we have some. We have some. I mean, there's. We most of them are really heavily um, uh, focused on statins still. Uh, but we do have some on over here that I refer to um, that I believe speak both languages. I, I think it's important to be able to speak both languages. I think you need to be able to speak conventional medicine and functional medicine. Um, so that you can understand both worlds well. It's important. Um, but inflammation, anybody that is practicing any type of medicine should know about inflammation. That should just be a standard conversation. Um, and I don't think people feel empowered because they are so grounded in who takes my insurance. They go to that clinician. They're not shopping for who is the best person for me. Um, Absolutely, which is a whole other story, and we've talked about it many times on this radio show, but people, unfortunately, they pick um, doctors and hospitals and clinics based on who their preferred provider is um, with their insurance company, and in reality, what happens is those doctors just sign up with that insurance company, and then those patients just blindly follow that insurance company. In reality, it has nothing to do with them being the best clinician, and it's really sad. That's one of the reasons I wrote a book. That's one of the reasons I have a radio show, to educate and empower consumers that they are in charge of their health care, not their insurance company and not their doctor. Doctors, clinicians, we can all be teachers to help the patient, but ultimately, they are responsible for it. Do you have any uh, comment there, Michelle? No, I agree. I think we're teammates on, um, and that people need to take, we get one ride and you need to be able to command this ride the way you want it to go. And you need to find people to join you, um, that help empower you to meet whatever those goals are that you have. And if, and it, it does not take a long time to figure out if that person is the right person for you. It's a, it's a less than a five minute interview. Um, Absolutely. They have the capacity to listen. They might not know the answer, 
But if they're willing to look it up and do the research and hear you, then they're worthy. But if they're not, it's time to move on. And I agree. I think that's the game for for healthcare in this system in the United States is that we just have to become more educated consumers and um, more vocal about being what our expectations are. I agree 100%. And and speaking of speaking of one ride in this lifetime, bucket list ride, Michelle, what would your bucket list ride be for a bike? Ooh. You weren't you weren't ready for this one, were you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really big question. Uh, I mean, I want to do the ride across America. I'd like to do it at a race. Yeah, I'll possibly do it. Um, support, you know, a support vehicle. You want to do that one? No, um, I don't. <laughs> I'm going to do my I was, <laughs> Jan and I were Jan looking at that one. last week, and did you see that one guy did it? It was supported. The non-supported one did it in like 14 days, but the supported ride, the guy did it like seven days or some oh, crazy right? thing. I couldn't believe it. That would be so fun. It'd be cool to do it with like a team of people and just pull a draft line, just get a cool group and just pull it across, see how fast you could do it. What do you think, Janet? It'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Janet says no. <laughs> okay, Michelle, we got one minute to wrap up. So what are your parting words, and how do people get a hold of you? Um, my parting words, uh, never settle and be fierce. And uh, you can find me uh, on our website, which is www.p3life.com. And uh, my email address is just Michelle with two L's at p3life.com. And I'm happy to help anytime. I love it, Michelle. We we all, we like having you on the radio show, and hopefully we can have you on a, again sometime. Um, Thanks, guys. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, I don't have. Do you have any final questions for for Michelle, Janet? So love it, Michelle. Love what you're doing with your patients. You you are awesome. I'm so proud of you and happy that you took the took the plunge to go into functional medicine and, and get out of the insurance based practice. You've helped thousands of people, and I really really appreciate okay. it. Thank you I got so- courage because I listened to you, too. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. You have a great day, Michelle. Thanks for being on. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.